Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 66, and we're reviewing Promare. As always, it'll be spoilers about this episode, so you've been warned. Do you realize that this is our second to last episode of 2021 for Strictly Anime? don't say is it really <laughs> it is it is we are already there at the end of the year by the time this goes up it'll be december 20th so the same week as christmas mm-hmm. which i mean basically is like once you hit the holiday season it's all downhill or really uphill because the holiday season is a lot of fun but downhill from there until you uh you get to the the end of the year and yeah i'm looking forward to it there's a lot of uh Christmas shopping we still have to do a lot of gifts we still need to buy the supply chain isn't helping that situation but you know we'll make it through it it's the holidays it's fun stuff that's why you just gotta rely on Amazon Prime (laughs) for some reason they're still getting stuff out pretty much on time yeah good old Amazon um yeah we'll figure that out what's more important right now is that we are winding down the anime season for fall 2021 anime um we're within i think like one week of several shows that we're watching finishing up because they're right on that 12 13 episode mark and yeah we're we're ending things real strong and then on the flip side we're going to be ramping it back up when we hit 2022 we're already starting to ramp up with jojo with demon slayer and then we're going to get attack on titan yeah 2022 is going to start off with a banger or as a banger on a banger, whatever preposition. <laughs> like a banger. <laughs> whatever preposition you want to use. And it's interesting because Attack on Titan kind of started off 2021 real strong as well. That's true. I, I had forgotten that we had started off with our episodic review of the final season. I guess you could call it part one. I think that, yeah, that concluded around March or April. And it's weird to think that now we are on the i guess the the eve of attack on titan picking up again um so i'm definitely looking forward to starting the year off with that yes which is a perfect segue into a couple of reminders so yeah we are bringing back our attack on titan review series when the show premieres in january um probably similar format uh we haven't confirmed it just yet so stay tuned for that but similar format where after the you know each week's episode premieres um within like three to four days after that we'll post um, our review of that recent episode on strictly anime talk all about the nitty-gritty details because you know attack on titan is full of details and secrets and all of that um and yeah it'll be in addition to our regular podcast schedule so you'll get the weekly Monday episodes on Strictly Anime, plus the additional Attack on Titan episodes each week, which is going to be a lot of fun. And then, of course, still going on on Strictly JoJo, we've got our JoJo Part 6 Stone Ocean Review series that kicked off recently, um, beginning of December, and we're, we're going strong. We just finished up our Episode 2 review. We're going to be starting our Episode 3 review pretty soon here, and that'll carry us through till whenever Netflix decides to drop the next set of episodes. So we, we've got a lot of fun stuff happening on both of our podcasts. And then on top of that, on our Patreon page, by the time this episode's airing, I believe our bonus episode for December will have been posted, which is... 
my review of the Cowboy Bebop live action that was thrown in our face by Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> and recently canceled by Netflix. Yeah, that just destroyed the hype. Like less than, I don't know, like two weeks after it premiered. Or maybe a, even less than that. Actually, yeah, you're right. Because it was a late November premiere, right? Yeah. Oh, man, that didn't last very long at all. <laughs> But it's okay. I mean, I personally am sighing a, a bit of relief here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I caught glimpses of what you were watching when you were sitting through it. And I don't know how you did it. I don't think I could do it. I think Bebop is too special to me. And I've been burned too many times by live actions to to summon the courage to sit through that. Yeah, I can get that. And, you know, I hold Cowboy Bebop, the anime I hate that I have to preface it like that. But I hold Cowboy Bebop, the anime, pretty close to my heart. Um, but I felt like I couldn't properly exercise judgment on the series without having watched it. And it, it's, I guess it's it's average at best. But um, slightly better than other live action adaptations. But I think I'm being a little too gratuitous there. Um, I th The ending just it pissed me off i'll, I'll just be straight about that <laughs> interesting i wonder why well it, i'm sure yeah. you'll mention why in your in your review episode right yes so you will hear all my thoughts my rants my rambles on the live action cowboy bebop adaptation on netflix um as courtney mentioned that should be live now for all of our lovely lovely patrons out there so if you are not yet a patron Please join us on the bandwagon as we as we discuss and listen to, or as you listen to my ramblings on, <laughs> on Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, if anyone's interested in becoming a patron, supporting the show, both you know Strictly Anime and Strictly JoJo, um, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series, and you'll see a lot of fun stuff on there. Um, in addition to our bonus episodes, like our pre-shows, the show schedule, Q&A, all that fun stuff. Um, yeah. I'm uh, curious to know the overall reaction to your review. Because I, I feel like you're going to be the type of person who um, is as fair as possible with, you know, pointing out the good as well as the bad. Uh, me, I'm, I know I'm being, like, pretty cynical about it. I feel like I would probably do the same, but it would be much more difficult for me to be as balanced as I think you'll be able to be. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm not going to be that person who's like, oh, this show sucks outright just because <laughs> they tried adapting an anime and you can't always do that properly, which is still the truth, <laughs> I feel like, in this case. Um, but, yeah, there are certain things that I will give credit to the show for doing. Um, but, yeah, this is just another in a long list of adaptations that just that just missed the mark. So. Yeah, That's a get... very nice way of saying it. You're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to review things and, and have a critical eye, but yeah. I can't, like, bash something just because it wasn't something I did not want. <laughs> I know. Like, again, I, I know I'm being super unfair because I haven't actually watched the live action. I think if I were if I were to place a bet, I would bet that I would come out of it, like, probably very strongly disliking it. But I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll save my, my real judgment for if and when I watch it, which is more of an if than a when. Mm -hmm. But yeah, 
I'm I'm looking forward to your review. Um, in other anime watching updates, um, I'm making good progress on my goal to get through as much of my watch list as possible by the end of 2021. Although as I watch stuff, more stuff gets added. Um, recently, I finished Parasite, which I think premiered back in 2014. So it's not like super, super old. Um, but it has been around for quite some time. Let's see here. Yeah, October 2014. And I thought it was pretty good. Um, it was, I would say, just a notch below the hype that I had heard around the show. People still talk about it to, to this day, and I can completely understand why. Um, I think I was just slightly frustrated while watching it. Like, without spoiling anything, it's one of those shows that falls victim to stupid character choices. Not so much, like, the the choices in character... How do I describe it? Not so much, like, the, the character design, um, but, like, the characters themselves making stupid choices where you're watching it mm. and you just have to throw your hands in the air and you're like, what the fuck? Are you serious? You're really going to go do that? Or you're really going to go say that? Like, you just, your mind is blown at how stupid this one particular character or these couple of, you know, particular characters are in this moment. And you're like, oh, my God, this is, like, maddening. It's so kind of like the, the tropes you see in horror films where you're like, why the fuck? fuck would this character do that that just leads them to is is parasite would you classify it as a horror or like a thriller it's a combination of both it certainly has lots of i'm gonna say it's slow because i cannot say this word fast horror elements as well as like thriller psychological elements um another word i can't say fast is prerequisite otherwise i fuck it up yeah, well, like a college prerequisite. Yeah, um, horror elements for sure. Uh, it, it's it's really good. Like those are probably the strongest parts about Parasite. But yes, like when you're sitting there watching a scary movie and the characters are just clearly doing something that is completely nonsensical, that's that's what you experience a number of times from a couple different characters in the show. And I'm just like, why? why and i think the conclusion to the overarching story is less than clean i think it's a very realistic conclusion um but i don't think it's it's certainly not the expected conclusion and it's not um the most satisfying conclusion so i won't i'll leave it at that because obviously i don't want to spoil anything but overall i thought it was really good i completely understand why people recommend this for um those who are trying to really get into anime and want something more in the psychological thriller genre um and i'd i'd recommend it it's worth at least one watch that's for sure i think i had it on my watch list so i will take caution as i catch up on it eventually just let me know which character decision you thought was the dumbest because there's so many that i was like i don't know who i find to be the dumbest character in this moment <laughs> um another anime that i will be starting soon is prison school um yes i am diving into prison school i'm not normally a uh an etchy type of watcher i think the only etchy that i've ever liked is uh, high school of the dead which i think you really enjoyed as well yeah. And here I'm apparently I don't know anything about prison school. I just know it's like very much a a you know, you're you're the epitome of Etchy, I guess, because there's some pretty wild things that happen in and I've just seen a couple of spoilers, but um I don't know fully, you know, what I'm getting myself into. But I figure people still talk about prison school. I'll watch prison school. It's only twelve episodes. We'll see if it can uh 
knock High School of the Dead off the top etchy, or really the only etchy on my list that I enjoyed. But I hear it's really funny, so I'll, I'll give it a shot. Have you ever heard of Prison School or have any interest in it? No, this is the first time I'm hearing of it. All right, well, I'll let you know just how etchy it ends up being, and then you can decide if you want to watch it. Um, the last thing that I'm currently watching is Toradora. I am doing my Toradora Christmas rewatch, and this is a pretty a pretty common thing. I know that on Reddit, both the R Anime subreddit and the R Toradora subreddits do annual Christmas rewatches, and I haven't seen it maybe in like four years or so. So I thought it'd be a good time to jump in um, while I'm doing this binge watching run throughout the rest of 2021 to rewatch one of my favorites and get me into the Christmas spirit because the Christmas arc of Toradora is probably one of the best arcs of that show. And you've never seen it. I hope that someday you'll watch it, but I understand if you don't because I know slice of life romance isn't really like one of your big genres. Well, except for Marmalade <laughs> Boy, the the never ending Marmalade Boy. Yeah, journey. I don't think I have to give an update on my end. I'm still at ten episodes. So, actually, after I wrapped up watching Cowboy Bebop, the live action, um, yeah, after I watched the the finale, and I was just so pissed off by it that I I went back to watch like a couple episodes of the original Cowboy Bebop, and then I watched um one episode of marmalade boy just to kind of decompress like a detox yes um (laughs) so i think i mentioned before that i'm at 10 episodes i was technically at 11 episodes left so now i'm at 10 episodes and still my goal to finish the series by december 31st 2021 and i'm nearly there (laughs) you can do it i will teach you how to be a great binge watcher to maximize your time to watch as much anime as you can no, I'm good with the rate that I'm going. <laughs> um, but I, I do have a couple shows that I'd like to pick up after I'm finally done with Marmalade Boy. They'll probably take me another year or so to finish too. Um, you know, after watching Cowboy Bebop, I I was putting together a playlist. Cause I just love putting together Spotify playlists um, solely of like Cowboy Bebop soundtracks. But then I randomly came across the some of the soundtracks that I had for Samurai Champloo. And now I kind of want to watch rewatch Samurai Champloo again because I think it's been years since I've watched that show. I think you watched it for the first time with me back when we were like first getting to know each other. Yeah. Like early, early on in our relationship, you I, I introduced you to Samurai Champloo. And I think that was one of the other shows that we specifically chose to watch um, as the dub version because the dub in that is excellent as much as Cowboy Bebop's dub is excellent. Uh, I'm still deciding whether I want to dive into that right away um, or to cushion it with something else just random. And the thing I was thinking about is School Rumble. School Rumble! (laughs) I think we talked about it before, like uh, it was just randomly on uh, when we went to Japan uh, a couple of years ago um, in our hotel room. It was like on late at night, and I didn't understand a word of it because there were no <laughs> there were no English subtitles, of course. Um, but... Yeah, I think whatever channel, like one of the channels in our hotel, had like a marathon going. Like yeah. I don't know if it was an all evening or like an all day marathon, but anytime we got back to the hotel and turned the TV on, it was School Rumble. 
like it was all like night. A, it was yeah, it was, it was a, like a late night marathon of their episodes, and we would just fall asleep with it um, on the television. Like every night for like a week and a half, it was School Rumble. Yeah, I'm like, there's no way there's this many episodes of School Rumble. They must have restarted the show like multiple times. Yeah, and and I just remember dreaming of of the theme every time. It was, dun, 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 dun. Like it would just pop up in my head as I was sleeping. Um, I did watch, I think. A couple years ago, after that trip, I watched like one episode on Hulu um, just because I was browsing Hulu and it just happened to appear on the list. But now I'd like, I'm like, it was, it's piqued my curiosity enough to want to finish that show. Again, it's, a, it's another show that I just randomly picked up in the past, never, never finished. So I might delve into School Rumble. Um, alongside our seasonal watches. That's a 2004 anime. So you're really gravitating towards like stuff from the golden era of um, or golden age of anime because you've got Bebop, you've got um, Marmalade Boy. Well, no, that was know. like early 90s. <laughs> That's so. questionable, yeah. <laughs> um, School Rumble. I mean, I wouldn't know. I, I can't say if School I've seen it before. But it was a long time ago. Um, I can't remember if it's like truly worthy of being up there with the golden age of anime even though it came out during that time but then you got samurai champloo you should watch great teacher onizuka gto yeah i have that I think, on my list too. i think you'd really like that I'd, I'd actually like to do a rewatch because it's been so long since i've seen it that i'm i'm forgetting a lot of parts of it um that's the the next rewatch i want to do after toradora so yeah maybe we can watch that too together and probably do it as a review on here. Oh, if anyone's interested in us doing a, a review or an episode on GTO, Great Teacher Onizuka, let us know. And with that, let's dive into today's review, which is Promare. Just, you know, before we dive into the synopsis, which I think we'll do similar to our last couple of um, recent movie reviews where we don't really break it up into acts. We just talk about the movie as a whole. But uh, before we dive into that, just really high level, really quick, what were your initial thoughts on Promare? I'm kind of anti-Mare. What? <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I, it's such a funny title, Promare. I thought, you know, before I watched like trailers, this was going to be something about horses, just because of the mare thing. Horses? I don't, I don't know. You know, I, I just take titles and analyze suffixes, prefixes. But yeah, I, my assumptions were far from the truth, uh, and then I found out it was it was it was a pretty much a, a mecca film, and I didn't realize that it it was actually Studio Trigger's first foray into the cinema space, and with a name like Studio Trigger attached to the billing, I was expecting like a profound story about discrimination and corruption, which we see in the first half of the movie. And then it felt like I was just watching a continuous visual orgasm. <laughs> you know what? You stole my joke. I was going to say the same thing. I was going to describe wow, it the exact gr- same great way. Great minds <laughs> think alike. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The way I wrote it in my notes, I got to flip back here, um, was that, oh, my God, now I'm scrolling. See, now I'm going to kill the the orgasm joke. You know what? I'll save it for later when we actually go through our uh, – our, our deep dive of the movie. Okay, you know, save the joke for later. Well, okay, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, I, I felt the same way. It honestly was just like a really intense hype movie from beginning to end. I mean, it, it was an absolute wild ride, and you can't expect anything 
anything less when you're working with when you hear it's you know from studio trigger i would say um they focused on what they do best which is action and visuals and they didn't try to do anything that they're not exceptionally good at like don't get me wrong they're not bad at storytelling and all of that but that's really just not where their strength lies and here they they know that and they embrace it like i i'm just thinking back to darling in the franks which i know you haven't watched but darling in the franks like exploded in the worst way possible just as the show went on because studio trigger just tried to i don't know do things very like like do some complex storytelling that just did not pan out and you can kind of tell at the end they were like you know what fuck it it's just it is what it is it's zero to being a waifu and that's all you need plus all of the action sequences so i think they maybe they learned from from what happened with darling and the franks and then just kind of did what they do best which is the action sequences and they killed it i, I think they did a phenomenal job here um i loved everything that i i watched even if the story um didn't really kind of grip me and, and pull me in at any point no i agree like the movie is an impressive visual feat and again there's no surprise there because it it's studio trigger behind all those gorgeous shots of animation and it's actually a very similar style to another project that studio trigger had worked on um which was star wars visions they did one of they did two shorts for Star Wars Visions. Um, you can listen to my review on that. I don't remember the episode. Hold number. on. I got you. I got you. Let's see. Episode 55, Star Wars Visions yes. on Strictly Anime. So you can go back to that episode to listen in on my review of each short. Uh, but yeah, Trigger did one of two shorts for Star Wars Visions, um, the first of which was called The Twins. And it's pretty much the same style as this movie which is like it's I don't even know how to describe the animation style. It's not like s dark cells for cell shading. Yeah, like cell shading for the characters. They they kind of pop out on screen almost like like vibrant bubblegum colors is the best way I can describe it. Yeah, like bold colors match with like it's like block colors almost. There's not a lot of okay, well like there's a lot of great animation details clearly i'm not like an animation expert but i feel like it's it's almost like a simplified version of that um does that explain it at all is that, no, is yeah. that on the right track no, yeah yeah <laughs> um and like you said i think studio trigger really honed in what on what they do best which again is the visuals um it just but kind of like star wars visions where the visuals of that were exhilarating it's it's the story that was a bit lacking on the other end and like I wrote a note during this movie, especially like the first half of the movie, like I felt like I could tell what was going to happen next. So it was just very predictable. Um, the whole thing with Cray Foresight, sympathizing with the Mad Mad Burnish, like Leo's terrorist group or whatever, like just the whole enchilada of that. Um, I felt like I could pick up the, like what the story beats were going to be by the end. Well, let's dive into the synopsis um, so that we can talk a little bit more about that in detail. To clarify, we did not watch the OVAs. I know two of them exist. Mm -hmm. And I believe both of the OVAs tell the story of what happens in like the day or two prior to the events of Promare. But um, I don't know. I I don't think they were pretty well. They, they were not well received. So we didn't dive into them because we liked Promare as it was. Um, and I was kind of getting nervous 
watching additional content if they, that additional content isn't as strong as the original content. Um, so yeah, we're just focusing solely on the movie itself, which one thing I, I want to mention since you brought up the title Promare, the entire movie I was sitting there, I'm like, are they going to, are they going to tell us what Promare is at any point? Cause I like, <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know what Promare is. So I'm like, Oh, they'll, they'll address it somewhere in the movie. And like, it only pops up at the very end. And I'm like, are, are we going to find out what, what Promare is? What if we go this whole movie and they never explain what Promare is or why it's titled Promare? That would be wild. But they do. They get there towards the very end. Yeah. I mean, I can bring up the context of it now. I think the movie, in the movie, it, the luminous beings that tear through like a dimensional rift and end up on Earth um, and give the Mad Burnish their flame powers or whatever, those are the Promare. Um and there's a lot of these like pro references throughout the movie, like with that suffix pro. I think there's the doctor, pro meth, pro promepolis, the name of the city. Again, the promare. Um, I was reading up that the the names originate from Prometheus, who was the Greek Titan who created man through clay. And his story is intertwined with fire um, for there's uh, a tale where one day he stole the gods' flames and gave them to the people to allow civilization to flourish. Wait, does that explain Cray Forsythe's first name? Like Cray, like clay? Oh. Because in Japan, like the R and L sounds aren't very like distinct all the time. Probably. Because I was like, is it like a fish? Like, isn't there like a crayfish, a crawfish or anything? Crawfish. Like? <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't so, know if I don't crayfish know. is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making shit up. But anyway, <laughs> is it supposed to be like clay foresight? Because foresight's, I mean, foresight is foresight. Because he had the foresight to know <laughs> yeah. the Earth was doomed. Or yeah. So, like, Cray, knowing that there was a, a clay concept tied to Prometheus and he is tied to this story somehow, maybe that's where Cray came from. Yeah. I don't know. Fan theory. <laughs> but I feel like our analysis of these things, like, it's not going to go anywhere because. The, the the story here is only like skin deep but anyways let's go ahead and dive into our synopsis and discussion for Promare Promare is a 2019 Japanese animated film co-produced by Trigger and X-Flag it was directed by Hiroyuki Imaishi and written by Kazuki Nakashima it features character and mecha designs by Shigeto Koyama 3D CG animation by Sanjigen and music by Hiroyuki Sawano in a world where people spontaneously combust and single-handedly become the number one cause of global death, a fire force by the name of Burning Rescue comes to the aid of the great city of Promepolis as they fight a building set ablaze by terrorist group Mad Burnish. The rescue team's hothead and resident Kamina variant, Gallo, takes down Mad Burnish's rebel leader, Leo, who is subsequently transported to prison by vulgar Vulcan and his freeze force cronies. Gallo is awarded Promepolis' Sexiest Man Alive by Mayor and Mentor Cray Foresight. However, when Leo and his fellow Mad Burnish convicts break out of prison and Gallo shows up to their forest hideaway to knock some more sense into them, Leo warns the hothead that the good guys are actually the bad guys and the bad guys are not so bad after all. Gallo goes to his mentor to clear up the confusion, but Cray confirms that the Burnish are indeed being used to morbidly power up a warp drive to allow his Arc Gurren to launch into space and avoid an impending global magma catastrophe. Cray then betrays his mentee and locks him up before he can become a WikiLeak as Freeze Force rounds up the last of the Burnish. Leo, the sole survivor of the roundup, travels back to Promepolis and goes on a GTA rampage, 
but Gallo breaks free of his lockup and forces Leo to retreat back to a special lake near his forest hideaway. The lake is coincidentally revealed to be a secret lab run by the specter of Deus Prometh, a victim of Cray Foresight who discovers that the Burnish are vessels for an interdimensional flame celestials called the Promare after a freak rift in the space-time continuum I don't really fucking know who cares anyways. The impending magma catastrophe is a reaction to the Promare's brutal treatment felt through the oppressed Burnish, meaning that the warp drive and the Arc Gurren will pretty much be useless. Deus gives Gallo and Leo his appropriately named Deus Ex Machina Mecha to save the world somehow through some kind of bullshit, and they once again face off with Kray in a much too long climactic battle, where Kray reveals t he too is a Burnish, and just like Tupac, doesn't give a fuck what happens as long as he is off this space rock and decides to use Leo to power up the warp drive. Gallo stops Kray because he is OP main character and resuscitates Leo before he gets Thanos dusted. The unlikely pair use their special anime powers to protect the Earth while allowing the Promare to burn bright like a diamond and close the Dimensional Rift, thereby returning the Burnish to normal human beings. Gallo and Leo then set aside their differences and resolve to build a new world together, and that concludes Gurenferno Lagan, the movie. So right off the bat, um, I apologize in advance if I say Gallo instead of Gallo, because I know it's Gallo, but like the Chicagoan in me wants to say Gallo. You know, our lovely Chicago accent, Gallo. But it's Gallo, right? Like, that's, how, that's how they say it in the movie, Gallo? Yes. Okay, well. <laughs> so, I just looked up the meaning of Gallo, and the first thing that Google says is cock. <laughs> oh, wait, what? <laughs> Hang on, the, now I gotta The look male up. of birds, especially of the domestic fowl. Oh, so maybe that was intentional then with the way Gallo's... Uh, Oh, which his, makes sense. His personality like, and his hair. Yeah, because, you know, I think in, in Spanish, the word for rooster is gallo. Is right? it? Oh. Yeah, or even in Tagalog, like we have something called misa de gallo, which for the holiday season means mass of the the rooster. Oh, I thought it was like misa, like. Um... No, not from death. No. <laughs> well, there you go. Maybe he is a cock. <laughs> 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 Which is funny because I knew this guy in high school whose name was also Gallo, and I never made that connection. He was not a cock. He was a pretty nice guy. But <laughs> well, here you know Gallo's a pretty nice guy too. You no, know, he's, he's a cock. A... <laughs> <laughs> he's cocky, but he's got he's he's decent. He's always fine. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, this movie is intense as fuck. Um, the hype starts and then it never stops until the movie ends. Um, but right off the bat, because you mentioned it earlier, the movie is very surface level because the forte here is the action and the visuals but it's not necessarily a bad thing like it's like someone gave studio trigger free reign to do what they do best and they ran wild with it and we all know that studio trigger does action and visuals the best so you know what you're getting yourself into but with that said i it, you can't exactly deny that it suffers a bit in story and character development because of that focus on on action like no one has a flushed out story or backstory um and the relationships kind of feel super surface level as well like there's no real emotional connection between leo and gallo other than having a common goal motivating them to work together like not even gallo finding out that um 
Okay, well, I was about to say, not even Gala finding out that uh, the Burnish are being used in, like, in terrible ways was enough to get him to really unite with Leo. But that's not fair, because I think that that is the, the turning point for him in the movie. It's just more so that he and Leo go se their separate ways for a significant length of time in the movie, um, and then finally come back together almost at the very end of the story. So it just feels like there's a little bit of... Um, like there's less of a, an emotional connection or a personal connection between Leo and Gal, and more more so that it's a convenient team up, um, because they're both fighting the same enemy. But again, like that's okay. When you see Studio Trigger on a project, you know that it's not gonna be the most flushed out story or the most detailed story, and they know what it is they're making. And when there's moments of convoluted story or plot holes or things not thoroughly explained, they're kind of like, fuck it. And they keep going with the movie because that's all it is. I mean, for God's sakes, they name the ultimate weapon the deus ex machina, which I think you had told me basically means like the cop out for the situation. Yeah, it's, it's a literary device. Um, and yeah, it's, it's called the deus ex machina. And it's basically that this machine that, what the hell was his name? Deus? Yeah, the Dr. Deus or whatever had this contingency plan that just so happens to be powerful enough to stop Kray's plans. Like, and, how convenient. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And really, they're they're just giving you the bare minimum in terms of storytelling and character development so that it, it's enough to work for the movie and help progress the movie. But yeah, I, I just love how self-aware Studio Trigger is throughout this entire film. I, I think it's it's... It's pretty clever, and it's a it's a bold move on their choice. Yeah, I mean, again, that Deus Ex Machina was a very tongue in cheek reference, um, and then that kind of made me realize like this movie is not going to take itself seriously, although it starts pretty dramatically. Like in the intro, you just have these angry civilians, like the guy sitting in traffic, yeah. <laughs> like he gets so angry, and then he suddenly combusts, and the the all the traffic is destroyed, and all those people burn up or whatever. It's so funny because we've all been there where you're just so pissed off, but you can't like you cannot do anything to change your your situation, and you're just like, oh, you're gonna, you feel like you're gonna explode. Like here, the people actually did explode. Yeah, and so you start with that, then you have the the beginning action scene where Burning Rescue is saving people from that tower that the Mad Burnish have uh, set ablaze, um, and then you have the the crew eating pizza at that restaurant and then they find out that one of the workers himself is a burnish although he he hasn't done anything wrong the he only just wanted to make some pizza yeah and his pizza though, was fire yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the owner even said they, that exact same thing he's like I, he just wanted to make pizza i don't mm -hmm. understand so that's where i was like you know this movie seems to have like a deep theme of you know as i mentioned in the beginning dealing with discrimination and especially with the freeze force like i don't know like the like corruption and um a overzealous police state but no that gets all that all gets shoehorned to the side <laughs> as the movie progresses yeah the the action sequences um were hype as fuck the camera work was great and the colors were just spectacular. Oh, here's my note that I was trying to find earlier. It's like a two-hour orgasm for your eyes. There you go. That was my orgasm mm -hmm. reference that I was trying to find earlier. <laughs> um, not going to lie, though. I got the slightest bit of motion sickness just a few times during some of the, the crazy camera work. Um, and I am a little bit prone to motion sickness, so I wasn't entirely surprised. But that just kind of tells you how, like, 
intense um some of these scenes were where i was sitting on a couch yet somehow was feeling a bit of motion sickness yeah i think at least in the the very long climax that lasted way longer than it should have i started just getting confused on who was hitting who you're like, like i need to get my bearings again <laughs> yeah like, let's just stop for two seconds let me get my bearings like let me get my feet on the ground and then start it back up again yeah i mean i knew like leo and gallo team where they teamed up to fight cray but you know it there was just so much happening on screen that sometimes it wasn't clear what was going on um one thing i did want to comment on in terms of the visuals is it's interesting that Again, a lot of this film uses vibrant colors, a lot of like blues and pinks to represent like these burning images or like these infernal things. And they don't really use red or orange, which is more representative of fiery things. Um, I feel like them using those softer colors gives the movie a bit of a quote unquote cozier look. And they kind of juxtapose that with like these harsh reds and blacks that are associated once you find out um, like Cray Foresight's kind of dark intentions for the burnish. So in that sense, it's thematically showing us that I guess like the burnish aren't necessarily like antagonistic people. Like we find out later that it's the Promare that they just have this instinct that they want to continuously burn things. Not like in the bad sense, but like they're like they like flourish. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense, and I, I thought the color choices were very interesting because you wouldn't necessarily um, place the this color palette of, like, neon colors, bright colors. You've got, like, turquoise and, like, light green and pinks and all that with a super intense action movie. Mm-hmm. They, they Again, they, the bold move on their part, but it worked so, so well. Um, I, I really liked, and I know this is a bit of a criticism, like, it's kind of split on how people feel about this, but I love that there's so many similarities and parallels to Gurren Lagann. Like, mm. I mean, just again, unapologetically paying homage to Gurren Lagann time and time again throughout this movie. Like you can tell they weren't trying to make another Gurren Lagann, but instead taking elements of that show that made it so great and then adding that to this new story. Um, and I just, I've also heard that it's kind of the same way with Kill a Kill. I've never seen Kill a Kill, um, so I can't speak to that, but from the Gurren Lagann side, I would say there's there's plenty of similarities well it's funny that you mentioned those two shows because the writer for this film kazuki nakashima was the head writer for gurren lagan and kill la kill and that's all i kept thinking of as i was watching this movie is just how similar it was in sometimes character design and concept to gurren lagan i mean you have galo himself who just screams Kamina with a different color palette and is as much of a showboat as he is. And you know, I think one of his key quotes is, I'll extinguish you with my burning soul. What does that sound like? <laughs> I'll, oh, pierce the heavens with your drill, right? <laughs> there even was a drill in this fucking movie. Right. At the end. <laughs> Same energy. Yeah. I remember when, when the promotional material came out for Promare, and that was the first thing everyone commented on was like is this just another Kamina and mm-hmm. I mean Studio Trigger's kind of like yeah it is another Kamina <laughs> like what's wrong with that there's no problem with that because I love Kamina he's a great character and um Gallo is not a one-for-one to Kamina but he has Kamina energy like mm-hmm. I, I just I love it um I will say side note when it comes to looking at 
promotional material, not knowing anything about the movie. I literally, for the entire time, and even for, like, the first, like, like portions of the movie, thought that Leo was a girl. I'm sorry. Like, I just thought it was a female character. I, I don't know why. It's just I think the, the character design was a bit more feminine. So I was like, oh, this is, a, like, a the one of the characters is a chick. So when, when I think Gallo is fighting Leo for the first time and then, like, his helmet gets smashed and his face gets revealed, he says, oh, you're just a kid. I'm like, okay, so... Like, it's, you know, it's a young girl, I guess. And then he starts calling him he. I'm like, oh, okay, so Leo's a boy. And then he opens his mouth. I'm like, okay, yeah, he's he's a boy. I didn't know that. But, um, yeah, so that was a, a big, not, like, surprise or anything to me. But I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I had to rewire my brain for a second to realize that, yeah, it was a, a male character. And I think the voice actor for Leo, I'm looking up his professional name is Taichi Saotome. Um, he typically plays young men and onagata roles of women. Oh, male actors who play female roles in kabuki theater. Oh, so I, that's I guess cool. in that sense, they they casted Leo pretty well. Um, and yeah, you can you can clearly tell that Leo is kind of like the foil to Gallo with his somewhat calm and collected nature. And you can tell too because he's wearing that cravat. <laughs> kind of <Yeah>. like um, <laughs> I think Le- Levi wears something similar in Attack on Titan. Yeah, no, I I love um, their character designs. Before we get into that, though, I really want to go back, uh, really quickly, want to go back to our comment on Gurren Lagann comparisons. Um, one of the things that I noticed that felt very Gurren Lagann was the mech in this movie because they which one. <laughs> I guess, the, yeah, good question. I Probably the last one, because that one needed two pilots to make it work, kind of like the yeah. Gurren Lagann. Uh, yeah. um, and then it constantly upgraded all the time, mm-hmm. like the Gurren Lagann. <laughs> it, it felt like, in the best way possible, it felt like the Dixling contest that you got at the end of Gurren Lagann, like towards the climax, where like, I mean, really the whole the whole show was like it was a Dixling. Dixling yeah. yeah, it was a one-up Dixling contest. Um, and then the the ship that Cray puts all like the ten thousand citizens on the, the Ark, basically. Mm-hmm. When you look at it from like um, far away shots, it's the ship with like a little command post towards the back. That reminds me of the Die Gurren from Gurren Lagan, which is the one version of Gurren Lagan where it looks like it's got a big dick, basically. Because it's like the ship, but it's coming out of yeah, Gurren Lagan's like see hip area. <laughs> so it's literally like a giant penis. Like it's it's the biggest dick in existence, um, the Die Gurren is. And that kind of reminded me of that same ship. I was like, that's very Die Gurren-esque. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I just wanted to mention that because that was my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, callback or homage to Gurren Lagann. But anyway, character design. So Gallo and Leo are another great example of very opposite character designs, and I really enjoy that. I love uh, the the dynamics and relationships between characters who are extremely opposite. So here it's like every fiber of these two characters is complete opposite. Like. Gallo's, I guess, a regular human, and Leo's a burnish. Um, Leo is young. Gallo, he's not old, but he's like an older. He's, he's treated more as like an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, Leo has more of a slender build. Gallo's built as fuck. Um, Leo is a rational, calm individual. Um, Gallo's kind of like that loose cannon. And yeah, they, they just, they work very well together. I really loved their dynamic especially when they go when they go into the Gurren Lagann I was about to say but it's the deus ex machina 
Um, and they're or it's to... called the Leo de Galon. Oh, yeah, and when they rename it. the Galo de Leon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I love that because they're both trying to figure out how to use this thing and, and trying to figure out how to work together when they've been on opposing sides for the, the entirety of this movie. And it was just funny. They were so funny together. Like, they just had some of the best comedic relief in this movie. Yeah, terrific banter. To, to harken back to Cowboy Bebop, it kind of reminds me of, like, Spike and Jet with their personalities. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I would say, as far as another character that kind of um, was interesting to me, was Cray himself. Because I, I kind of had a feeling, kind of like you said, it, it was a little bit predictable that Cray was going to end up being the foe in some capacity in this movie. Um, but I like that they gave him a soft character design. Like, yeah, he looks like a leader. Um, he looks he looks tough to a certain degree, but he's got like closed eyes. Um, so like he his face looks a little bit softer throughout the movie, and his voice actor I thought was very unexpected. Like I like and dislike his voice portrayal um, in this movie. It sounds weird at times and isn't exactly a fit for Cray, but I also appreciate how it's so different from other voices for antagonists of power like him like usually it'd be like a booming triumphant voice right because he's like the leader of this organization or whatever and he's ultimately the bad guy but his voice is very soft and raspy at certain times not when he's yelling but just like when he's talking in general like it had kind of this like not like weakness to it but it just wasn't as commanding as most characters in this type of role i thought it was an interesting choice um yeah it- Cray's voice is very soft spoken and I think it's kind of meant to be like a red herring where people don't think that he's the mastermind behind all of these heinous deeds that are being committed against the burnish uh that coupled with the fact that he pretty much looks like a blonde version of Superman um I think it's just it's quote unquote meant to throw the audience off the scent thinking that he is this glorious being that champions the good when really deep down he's a pretty shitty person and it's interesting because i feel like with this movie coming out in 2019 it's pretty in line with what i would call like a recent trope of these super superheroes or like these prototypical everyman who become morally ambiguous uh, I think you see examples of that in other shows like uh, The Boys on Amazon or Invincible. Um, so it, I thought it was intriguing that Crave Foresight, despite him being a predictable villain, kind of falls in line with that category of superhero or supervillain. And on this topic of Cray, he reveals why he hates Gallo. Um, Gallo, I was going to say it, Gallo, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, he reveals why he hates Gallo, but it's so quick and it doesn't really make sense. So I don't know. And also like for the longest time, I kept asking what is, like what even is Cray's motivation? Why is he doing all of this? And I know it's not revealed till almost the very, very end of the movie, but I felt like maybe they waited a little bit too long to to reveal that because I, I could not exactly connect with like his whole arc at the end because I'm like, but I'm missing a big piece of the puzzle here. The mm-hmm. why hasn't been addressed yet. So you're telling me he's doing all these bad things. Um, but to me, until that why was revealed, I just felt like it, he was just doing it just because. Um, but if I understand correctly, he said he hates Gallo because 
Gallo always gets in his way when he's trying to move his evil plans along. But I just, mm-hmm. I don't know, something about that. Like, I feel like I'm missing something. Like, what was the initial reason that he hated Gallo? Because he, he, like, unintentionally saved his life from the burning building. Honestly, I can't tell you because okay. <laughs> everything here was so surface level. Um, I, yeah, I, I know that he revealed that he was a burnish too. And my understanding is that he kind of just wanted to go against the grain of what, like with the pro mare wanting to flourish with their flame powers, like he wanted to suppress that. And he kind of just took that out on the other burnish. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like looking at you dead in the eye like, I don't know. I can't really explain it because they didn't really explain it in the movie. <laughs> like, they did. But like, again, at that point, I knew this movie was like it, it kind of threw away story for everything else. So I really didn't pay attention. Yeah, to maybe it. I just gloss over that because I in my brain, I was also kind of also kind of like, I don't need to know this information because we're so close to the end zone. <laughs> um, I don't know, like talking out loud, maybe. Maybe the reason that he hates Gallo, because I know he said that he unintentionally started the fire at his house, but he ended up saving Gallo, and he used that as an opportunity. Like, he basically used Gallo and that rescue as an opportunity to launch his career and gain him some attention. Um, But then, like, I don't know, he just says that, like, he hates Gallo because he's always messing up his plans, but, like... Other than this plan, they don't explain what those other plans were when he messed him up. And then, um, as you mentioned, he, like, doesn't want to fall within the path of a normal burnish. I don't know. You can tell I'm pretty confused right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading the Promare wiki right now. They have an article on Cray Foresight, and it really doesn't clarify anything about Cray's motivations. I think Cray's just a self-loathing burnish. Um, who didn't want this power in the first place. And again, he just takes it out um, with his position of power. And it just happened. Like, I don't think he meant to be the hero um, after he accidentally burned Gallo's house down. And and that's why he loathes Gallo so much is because he just has become a thorn in his side. And I think he admits that he wanted him to join the rescue team because they had a high mortality rate. So he was just doing as much as he can to get rid of Gallo, um, who was throwing a wrench in his plans to, I don't know, get rid of the burnish and, and escape this rock in space. <laughs> well, hey, you know what? That That's, uh, uh, to me, a solid understanding of his storyline, given the way the storyline was delivered in this movie. Yeah. And maybe that's all, that's the, the extent that Studio Trigger wants us to look at into the story. I know... Here on Strictly Anime, we we deep dive into, you know, every anime that we watch. We analyze and sometimes even overanalyze um, every facet of these shows. But here, I think this is the one movie where we really don't have to and, and shouldn't do that. You know what this movie did? It subverted our expectations. <laughs> We're going to bring that phrase back. <laughs> There you go. I mean, another, like, not cop-out, but another moment of awareness for Studio Trigger, I thought, was when Gallo and Leo, and I think the chick, too. I can't remember her name. Um, See, like, that's how Ina? it comes to <laughs> Yeah, it's Ina. Um, when the three of them fall on the lake, the frozen lake, and then they, they melt through it because of Leo, and they discover the 
facility that the doctor's at. And then I think Gallo or Leo ask, um, you know, how, how did you, why did you choose us for this mission? And the doctor's like, I didn't choose you. You just happened to land here. (laughs) So if you didn't land here, Cray would have destroyed the earth. Like, I think that's just studio trigger saying, look, we don't have an explanation for how this all came together. It just happened. Like what you witness on screen is the extent of what we're able to explain. So take it or leave it. (laughs) Instead, look at all these flashing colors and lights. (laughs) Again, like I, I think if this were a piece of work where they were trying to dive into some like crazy story and barely gave us like surface level details then yeah i'd be pretty pissed about it but here it's like no that's not what the intent is of promare and that makes it okay like that's fine there's absolutely nothing wrong with that because they're not trying to be anything that they're not here and really at the end of the day it was just a lot of fun um i I do want to call out one of my favorite moments which uh, could probably go into the top 10 anime betrayals ever, whatever that, that meme is. It's that old guy betraying Leo. I oh, just God. thought it was so, <laughs> like, I think that was the only thing I didn't predict or didn't see coming from this movie. For some reason, I didn't expect the old guy to be the one to, like, fuck up plans for Leo. But, hey, top 10 anime betrayals. And, ironically, the old guy was, like, one of the first to die when the engine starts up and the in the Diger and knockoff. Yeah, yeah, so, that's right. So, <laughs> there you go. It's karma at its finest. Speaking of which, that whole thing, which I think Craig called the Parnassus Project, I didn't expect the movie to be so morbid with the way like they strap the burnish to these wheels and they spin them really fast. Yeah, until they literally die. Like well, it's, yeah, it's it's not animated in a morbid way. It's like conceptually very morbid and very like unsettling. Yeah, and it reminds me of I think you brought this up before in Attack on Titan when the female Titan grabs one of the scouts and starts swinging it. Yeah, she's like twirling him like a toy. Yeah. Oh God! Like again, I whenever I mentioned this before, like that that is still one of the most unsettling things I've ever seen in an anime. And I think for me, like this is another thing that it made me kind of squirm in my seat watching. Like I I know these are animated characters, but can you imagine <laughs> in real life if someone were to do this? And just spin someone infinitely until they turn to dust. The the guy just wanted to make pizza. He was the first one that we witnessed yeah, dying in that fashion. That was so sad. Yeah. I was just like, he just wanted to make some pizza. Let the guy make some pizza. <laughs> pizza time. But while we're on that topic, um, Ina's sister, Her- Harris. Yeah, Harris. Um, fuck that bitch because she is fucked up. And I think just as guilty as Cray for murdering for murdering tons of people. Um, even though at the end of the story, she does the right thing and destroys the engine, she technically has to overload it to destroy it, which yeah. means killing most of the burnished to produce that much energy in order to overload it in order to destroy it. And I'm just like, and even when her ass is called out by Gallo, um, and even when she has those moments of doubt, she still continues with the plan, all to save Ina, which sure, like that's a... Like, intent doesn't excuse your actions in this mm-hmm. situation. So, yeah, you intended to protect your sister, but at a grave and very disturbing cost. Yeah, saving one life at the cost of, like, thousands of others. Yeah. It was just, I, I I, can't stand her character. Like, I was so pissed that we didn't get some sort of resolution. I was more pissed that we didn't get a resolution to Harris, like, receiving a consequence for her actions than Cray. I would have been fine if Cray walked away scotch-free as long as Harris <laughs> got her punishment. Because, man, you had many opportunities to set yourself straight. And then even when you knew full well that what, what you were doing was wrong, you continued to do it. 
I just, yeah, I can't forgive Harris for that. That was messed up. I like to think, you know, like the, the Earth thankfully gets saved in the end, but Harris is still alive, and I think she should be tried for her crimes against humanity. <laughs> um, yeah, you want to save your sister, but, you know, you, you kill the many burnished. Yeah, <laughs> Harris is just as guilty as Cray is in this movie. That's, She's that's for sure. just as bad as Nina. Oh, God, Nina. <laughs> Another scientist <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Last thing I'll say with this movie, um, Hiroyuki Sawano. I think he's becoming, alongside Yugo Kano, one of my favorite uh, music composers. Um, of course, he's one, the, one of the minds behind Attack on Titan's score. And he composed the music for this movie as well. And it was very epic, very orchestral to go with the epicness of the visuals that we are watching. Um, and it's just funny, like, just to tie in one more thing to Gurren Lagan, the song Inferno, which I think is used in the opening credits. What do you think that song sounds like? Um, roll, roll, fight the power. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But then I second guess myself. Roll, Just, roll, fight yeah, the power. another rousing theme to amp up this dick slinging match of a movie. Yeah, hey, it's uh, it's Gurnlagon's spiritual successor. We'll, we'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or I guess like, um, to relate this to Loki, it's it's Gurnlagon's variant. <laughs> I like that. That's a good way to put it. Um, last thing I'll say before we get into final thoughts is that um, while I enjoyed the action, even if it did give me a little bit of motion sickness here or there, uh, there were times, admittedly, that the movie felt long only because every other moment feels like the climax of the movie. So again, on this theme of orgasms, it's like you're hitting the, co the climax of the movie but, like, you're not sure, like, is this actually the climax? Because there's more stuff happening and the story is still progressing. But I feel like we're at the climax of the movie and shit should be coming down pretty soon. You re you rarely ever get a breather. And, and when you do, it's only for a short moment. Um, and I, I appreciate that. And it takes a lot of effort and a lot of planning um, to, to be able to keep the intensity up like that throughout uh, an almost two-hour movie, but um, yeah, I, I just wanted a couple more breathers, I think, just to be able to process what my eyes were absorbing. Like, the first opening sequence, the first fight between Gallo and Leo, really the, the between the, who are they, the Fire Force? <laughs> the, burning rescue the Burning Rescue and the Mad Burnish. And the Mad Burnish. Um, that first opening sequence felt like, like extremely long, kind of like that really long cutscene in the beginning of Metal Gear Solid five which one metal gear solid is notorious for long cuts whatever i mean i i only watched it on youtube but it's that whatever the most recent metal gear game was how it had that mm. extremely long opening cutscene. um i pulled it up here on google i think it was something like over an hour um for that one anyway it had similar vibes to that because i was like oh man this is this is this is long they're still fighting but it was beautiful nonetheless I felt the way, that way with the actual climax of the movie. It, it just needed to end like five minutes ago. <laughs> but it was just one thing after another. And then like Leo and Gallo get uh, one up on Cray. Then Cray gets a one up on them. It's just so much back and forth. And all the while, like these mechas are getting bigger and bigger. They, they just needed one more dick slinging moment. That's all they needed. You know, just, just give us one more. Just one more. <laughs> yeah, but it was mostly edging. Oh, my God. With, with that. <laughs> with that, let's go into our final thoughts for Promare. 
So how many Rose Art Kaminas out of 10 would you give this dick slinging movie? So I was actually grappling for quite a bit um, because I, I was on the fence between a 7.5 and an 8. And let me explain why. It's a little bit long, but just this was my thought process. Um, normally, and I've said this before on the podcast, you can have amazing visuals, cool characters, great music, but if the story sucks, the, the show or the anime is unlikely to do well. But here... This is clearly not a story-driven movie. It's an action-driven movie where the story is in service of the action. It sets up the scenarios to allow all that action to take place. And and while the story is surface level, it's not a bad story at all. Like It works, and it works well enough for this movie. Um, so ultimately, I give it an 8, even though I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't quite enjoy it as much as other shows and movies that I've scored an 8. But like I've also said before on this podcast, you can love a 6 out of 10 anime and dislike an 8 out of 10 anime or a 9 out of 10 anime. Um, I would equate my enjoyment level to like a 7 or 7.5 out of 10. But looking at this movie objectively, it's a solid 8 out of 10 because it's it's just it's a phenomenal wild ride and it knows what it is. Um, But what about you? What would you give it? I would actually give this a notch lower. I, I give it a seven and a half out of ten. Um, <laughs> I think we've beat this dead horse a lot already, but uh, this movie was just Gurren Lagan with a rose-colored palette. That's not a bad thing. And it, maybe it's just me, because I watched Gurren Lagan what, like a year and a half ago, right around the time we started this podcast. And it was a story that didn't stick well with me. So once I found out that this story was very similar in nature to Gurren Lagan, I think that's kind of what took me off the hype train with this movie. But to a lot of your similar points, uh, just because this work seems derivative, it doesn't mean it's terrible. Because I still think Studio Trigger does a damn good job with its first theatrical feature especially with its mind-boggling visuals and action set pieces. I think it's just the story plays it a little too safe for me to thoroughly enjoy it. Um, but I think the way I can look at it is it's this is kind of like a B-action movie, kind of like John Wick, right? The John Wick film series. To what you said, I feel like those films, the story is also in service of the action because that's what you're, you're there to see, right? You're there to see Keanu Reeves kick ass as John Wick. And here... You just want to see Gallo and Leo kick ass as Leo de Gallon or Gallon de Leon, whatever the <laughs> fuck the mecca is called. Um, so yeah, this movie is more of a d- visual delight than a thought-provoking narrative. But if that's your cup of tea, then this will definitely light your eyes up and probably light them on fire. <laughs> so. Light your eyes on fire with pro <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy. Well, yes, this was a great watch. Um, I... I enjoyed it. It's it's worth at least one watch, if, if not two, to just fully absorb what's going on on screen every single second. But yeah, we, we hope that you enjoyed this review of, of Promare. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we seriously appreciate you. Um, just wanted to mention, you know, if you really like the podcast, if you really like our reviews and our discussions that we have, um, we would love it if you would share our podcast with a friend who also enjoys anime and listening to podcasts because word of mouth really helps us with, um, you know, reaching new listeners and spreading awareness about both Strictly Anime and Strictly Jojo. It would help us out a ton. Um, and before we officially sign off, we would like to say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, because we are in the throes of the end of the year. 
Yeah, I would say the greatest gift I could get this Christmas season is the gift of you listeners. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, as Courtney mentioned, it, it, it's been a treat um, making these podcast episodes for all of you and hearing your guys' positive comments and feedback. And yeah, from both of us here, we wish you all a happy holiday season. Yeah, and really quick, make sure you turn into our last episode of the year, which should go live um, December 27th, because we'll be talking about pretty much the year of anime, 2021 anime, what uh, what we thought as a whole, and, and also kind of reflecting a bit on this podcast and what we've done over the last 12 months. So be sure to tune in next week as well. And that wraps up episode 66 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series and on Twitter at Strictly Series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review and just how amazing Promare's eye orgasms were. <laughs> You're looking at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where we are currently in the throes of our Stone Ocean Review series. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to Santa San. It's like a combination of both. It's more of a thriller, like an action psychological thriller, but it, it's certainly a horror. I mean, there, there's some really great horror elephant horror Elef- elephants. Elephants. <laughs> horror. <laughs> horror inducing elephants. Horror elephants. There are horror elephants horror in Horror elephants. <laughs> oh my god. Not promiscuous. Oh boy.